What's up, everyone? This is episode 122 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Okay, um, I know that some of you listening are player collectors or team collectors. There's a good chance that over the years you've developed, for lack of a better word, rivalries with other collectors. Um, Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you set out to do that, but you're bidding against one another for the same cards. And in some cases, these cards have a very limited print run. You probably have cost one another a lot of money over time. So the question remains, how do you go about coexisting with this other person or these other people? And is it even possible for the two of you to become great friends in the process? Today, I will cover that and more in my main segment, where I chat with fellow Pacers collector Steve, aka at Vintage Pacers on Instagram, so you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But before I get there, I have a few hobby headlines that I want to cover, including a brief interaction I had with my PC player. We also got our first look at the new National Treasures RPAs, So I've got to talk about that. And then in addition to headlines, I want to take some time to talk about a card I added to my NBA Finals PC in the last week. Some of you might have seen the extended version of that on my YouTube already, but I'd like to recap that a little here as well. All right, so hobby headlines. Earlier this week, I was browsing Twitter and I saw a tweet from my PC player, Ron Artest. Now his name, I know his name is actually Meta Sanford Artest. Um, he'll always be Ron to me. So, um, in this tweet though, he's holding up a sign to announce that he would be doing a Reddit AMA on Tuesday. And for those of you that aren't familiar with AMAs, it stands for ask me anything. And you can basically ask questions. Now there are a hundred things I could have asked Ron, but I elected to go with a question I had asked on Twitter before that had gone unanswered. I figured there would be some competition for his attention. So I made sure to have my questions ready to go. And I'm glad I did because I think he spent more time on the earlier questions. The response seemed to get, um, seemed like they got shorter and shorter as the whole thing progressed. So I asked him the following. I said, when you signed basketball cards for companies like Upper Deck and Fleer, what all did the process entail? Did they send to your agent? Was it done through a team manager? And then also, what are your feelings about sports cards in general? And he was gracious enough to reply. So he said, When I would do signing, companies would contact my agent or manager and work out a deal that was a couple of dollars per card. Then they would set up the cards at the practice facility so the players could sign after practice. I really like sports cards, but I don't like the creative process. I wish I could have had more input on my pictures. They picked pictures I hate. End quote. So um, overall, I was very impressed with the level of detail that went into his response you know, if you've ever read one of these AMAs, there, you know, it doesn't get a lot more detailed than that. So I'm very happy he took the time to do that. And that made for a really fun moment for me on Tuesday afternoon. Now, speaking of the creative process, some of you might have seen me post about this. Um, Nick's rookie Emmanuel quickly posted a picture of some unreleased signed Panini cards to his Instagram story. And the majority of them looked like parallels, but as far as I know, this gave us our first look at the new 
National Treasures RPA design. And I, like I said, I reposted the picture and I asked people what they thought. My mind was on the design, which I like, by the way. The majority of the responses focused on the condition of the cards instead because they were all, you know, fanned out on what looks like a blanket or a comforter of some sort. Um, so, you know, people were like, oh man, these are going to be roughed up. But my thought process on that is this. Judging by the amount of sticker autographs we've seen this year, I thought there there was a really good chance that the RPAs were either going to be stickers or redemptions. Nobody likes those, so we dodged both of those bullets. I would much rather have an on-card autograph with, you know, maybe a little bit of edge wear um, over either one of those two things. Now, if you really want something to be upset about, you might consider the fact that those relics likely aren't going to be game-worn or even player-worn. They're just props. Um, Now, for National Treasures, we're used to them not being game-worn. Usually it's just photo shoot stuff. As I've discussed before, though, that didn't happen this year, and I get the impression Panini's just going to roll with the stuff that's straight off the rack at Dick's Sporting Goods. And the fact that they already have the cards made up and they already have the relics in them tell me that they started this process early. Um, you know, I guess, you know, probably the the priority went to those on-card autographs, so um, you can't have it all. Obviously, I can't say, you know, for certain yet that they aren't player-worn, we really won't have any idea until we see the back of the card. Okay, one final headline or talking point that I want to touch on revolves around LeBron James's 2019 Prism base card. I've seen several people talking about this lately. You might remember me talking about how people were hoarding this card last summer. There uh, really were a lot of different approaches to this card. Now, personally, I didn't trust the grade and weight game, so I sold a couple raw copies, and I used that money to fund PC stuff, which in most cases, well, actually, I think in all cases, happened to be more rare. Um, I'm seeing some of these LeBron cards coming back from PSA now. Um, you know, PSA's working through their backlog. I saw a couple of tins that were on eBay in the $50 range, which, by the way, is like, you know, two-thirds of the price that I was getting for them raw. Um, I put them on my watch list just for kicks to kind of follow this, and I even got a $40 offer for one of them not long after. Now, um, I want to make this very clear. This is not a victory lap. There's a point to me bringing this up, and, and that's this. Seek out the things that you want. Okay, I think this should be you know, a lesson. Um, don't value something just because other people do. And maybe you, know, maybe you have good taste and some of the things that you value and that you seek out will go up in the market as a byproduct. Uh, also, there are people who have been in this a long time and have a general feel for how things go. Some of you that are newer in the hobby, maybe you're a year or two in, you're starting to see some of these shorter cycles play out. And maybe at one time you were influenced or led astray by one of these clowns that's been doing a bad um, Miss Cleo impersonation while every card was going up, up, up. Well, the curtain's being pulled back and I hope you see a lot of them for who they really are. Um, And you know what? They might not be bad people, right? They might just be lazy and uninformed. Uh, Maybe their intentions were good. A lot of the mistakes that these people have made have been... Um, you know, I've seen people, they've excused them because, well, they're bringing eyeballs to the hobby. 
Well, if they if they aren't doing it in a way that's sustainable for the long run, it's more damaging than it is helpful. So my advice to you, don't keep listening to those people. Don't be one of those people. And most importantly, collect what you like. On to the mail. I've got one card to tell you about this week, which, by the way, is a card that I like. Um, I like it a lot. It's a 2016-2017 Panini Eternal LeBron James NBA Finals patch numbered to 50. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Panini Eternal, it's basically a higher-end version of like Panini Instant or Tops Now. The original intent was to, was to provide a similar product, but um, with significant memorabilia pieces in it. So I know they had like uh, Peyton Manning, Super Bowl, football-used cards in there as well. So it was supposed to be important stuff. Um, so as for this LeBron, there were several parallels to this card. There was a jersey parallel numbered to 217, and then there were patches numbered to 99, 50, 25, 10, and then I think all of the tags were numbered to five or less. Of course, there was a one-on-one as well. These were not pack-pulled. They were more or less made to order, and they were pretty expensive back when they first came out, which has led some people to believe they didn't manufacture all 50 cards in this print run. Um, I have no way of verifying that. I, I think I will do a blowout post though, just to see, you know, what all information is out there or what all, you know, cards people are owning that maybe they haven't showed. Um, but I've looked for other copies online and they're very hard to find. And I've wanted to add a LeBron finals relic to my collection for a long time. I passed on a booklet from a different finals, um, you know, years ago for a price that would just make you laugh now, that's kind of the way it is. You know, I, I don't, I'm not going to be upset about that. Um, also, a part of me wanted something from his 2016 finals run. And just a quick recap, you know, that's when he returned to Cleveland to win a title in his hometown. The Cavs made the finals in 2015, but lost to the Warriors. The next year, the Warriors go 73-9, and they took a 3-1 lead over the Cavs in the finals. Draymond got suspended. LeBron had a couple 40-point games. And then ultimately in Game 7, he had a triple-double, and he won the MVP. Um, that was the first team to win a finals after going down 3-1. It also prompted Draymond to call Kevin Durant, which was another interesting NBA storyline. You guys know I like NBA history. Um, I saw this come up. It felt like a very historic piece to me. And I got a really good deal on it. I saw it, or at least I feel like I did. I saw it pretty soon after it was listed. I sent an offer that I thought was low, and the seller countered halfway. I countered with a little higher of an offer, and then he came down a little bit from his second price, so eventually we met in the middle, but it ended up being cheaper than a jersey copy numbered to 217 that ended a couple days later. So in hindsight, um, that made my price look really good, and I got an actual patch piece instead of a jersey piece. So I wasn't intending on buying one of these at the time. In fact, I was saving money for the National. Really excited about that. Um, <laughs> since then, like three to four big PC cards have come up. So my philosophy, though, on rare cards is this. If the price is right, and if it's there, buy it. Because truth be told, if I saw these same cards at the National, I'd scoop them up in a heartbeat. All right, before I move into my conversation with Steve, I want to take a moment to remind you 
how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the Wax Museum Podcast gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! Okay, so joining me today is a fellow Pacers collector. As you can imagine, this is very exciting for me. Some of you may know him from the blowout forums as Stevo21. He has since migrated to Instagram where he goes by the handle at Vintage Pacers. So some of you may know him from there. So Steve, first off, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. It's Sunday. I cut the grass yesterday, so I've had a pretty relaxing day of doing a whole lot of nothing. Um, let's go ahead and jump right in. For those of you that haven't seen the news yet, the Pacers, um, I know you can't see Steve, but he's wearing a Pacers hat, so he's representing here. The Pacers hired Rick Carlisle as their new, or I should say returning, head coach. Steve, did you ever in your wildest dreams think that we would see Rick Carlisle coaching a Pacers team again? No, <laughs> not until about a week and a half ago, whenever it was, the announcement came out that he and the Mavs had mutually agreed to part ways. And then I immediately thought, oh, <laughs> what could we do there? And then the rumors started trickling a little bit. So yeah, it got pretty exciting pretty fast. So so it felt possible, but did you think it was going to happen though? Absolutely not. No. Who, who did you think they were going to end up with? <sighs> Some second or third guy down from <laughs> the head coach on the Timberwolves or some other lowly team that we'd pluck an assistant away from. Yeah. I, I or I thought it'd be kind of a run of the mill, like uh, Terry Stotts or somebody. So, you know, I, I'm a huge Rick Carlisle fan. I'm very surprised that they made it happen. Um, they spent the money, which is unlike the Pacers. Maybe, you know, I've seen some theories. The, the owner Herb Simon is 86. Maybe it has something to do with that. But um, very, very pleased with that. All right, let's move on to the cardboard. So I was looking back today. I officially joined the blowout forums in November of 2014. I know you had been on there before that. And I, I had been there. I was just lurking. But I didn't join until November of 2014. I think we started sharing pictures and posting about our Pacers collection shortly after that. We'll get more into that later. But your collecting history predates that by a long shot. So before we get too far in today, can you give us a summary of your collecting history? Yeah, so I got in pretty early. Um, the earliest thing I can remember collecting was 1987 Topps WWF cards. Oh, wow. Um, I was a wrestling fanatic from as far back as I can remember and Hulkamaniac from the start. So the 87 top stuff that hit when I was about four years old. And I just remember my mom taking me to flea markets and everywhere on the weekend and getting a pack of those was like the highlight of my week. Um, from there, wrestling cards stayed around until, you know, early nineties, the classic stuff, um, classic games, I think was the brand switched over to basketball, baseball, football 
early 90s, let's say like 91, 92, the Shaq boom, uh, like a lot of us. Didn't really go heavy into Pacers stuff as a kid, though. I was always a Pacers fan, just didn't really collect them. Tried to get Shaq stuff when I could, but I was a 10-year-old kid for the most part. I couldn't really do a lot of that. Um, Collected off and on up until I was about 20, 21, and then just sort of completely dropped out. That was around 06, 07 is when I think I got back in. I was nearing my end of my time in the military and had some free time and a lot of spare change on my hand from not having bills, living in a barracks, you get some spare money to kick around. So I just started blowing money on eBay. I had no concept of what eBay was before I hopped on there one day and then just went heavy. Danny Granger, Sean Williams, Tremaine O'Neal, those are the first ones. Now you had season tickets though, right? At one point? Yeah, I got season tickets with my best friend, James. Um, we had them from I want to say 2007 to 2011. They were cheap seats. Uh, we were up in the top deck, but it was awesome. We'd frequently migrate down to mid-level or even the lower bowl at Conseco just because there weren't a lot of fans in the stands at that point. Right. So this was the uh, Jim O'Brien era. Oh, yeah. That's the name that I refused to even say for several <laughs> years after he was gone. That's honestly when I got really heavy into player collecting. Um, Brandon Rush was the big one, just went ballistic on his cards, spent way too much money on them, and then eventually sold them all off once he got traded, got fed up with the hobby because my PC guy got traded, and I just didn't know how to handle that at the time. <laughs> yeah, I've been back in it since then and had little spells here and there where I'll fall off and not buy anything for a while, but I've never really gotten out of the hobby since then. Right. So um, when was Brandon Rush traded? Was that around 2012, 2011? Yeah, I was going to say 2011, might have been 2012. It's hard to recall at this point. Um, this is where I, I kind of use cards. I know he was in 2010 Donruss. So. Right. And I think that was his last Panini stuff with us. Um, yeah. I think from there it was all Golden State and Minnesota. That would yeah, that would make sense because he he was actually in the I want to say the downtown bound 2012 Prism insert as a warrior. So somewhere in yes. that time frame then. Yeah, he was in that set. I've debated picking one of those up, but I just can't do it. It's hard. It's hard when when your guys in a new uniform and and you know I've experienced that with Ron Artest and it's taken me years to pick those cards up and even then I'm. Sometimes I'll buy them and then I'll, I'll look at them and think, you know, why did I do this? So it, yeah. it's tough. All right. Well, um, first and foremost, I think it's fair to classify you, though, as a team collector, even though we've talked about Brandon Rush. And um, one thing, you know, I am too. I put myself in that same category. One thing I struggle with as a team collector at times is figuring out now what things I'm going to target. So collecting, you know, even just one player in all of his cards can be tough. This problem then is multiplied when you're looking at an entire team. So now, what is your philosophy of collecting? How do you narrow things down? For the most part, I, I'm, I would say I'm a lower end. I collect lower end stuff, lower to mid end stuff. I don't buy super high end cards. I've got a few in my collection, but it's just not my wheelhouse. So in general, I just overall philosophy: buy what you like. I know Brett from Stacking Slabs says that you know buy cards that you like. And I generally stick with that philosophy because if you're just buying stuff because that's the trend, 
you're just buying stuff to then ship it right back out. And there's no real collecting aspect to that. I want to buy something that I'm going to hold on to for at least a little while. Maybe I sell it at some point down the line, but I like to enjoy the things that I purchase and what's coming in the mail is going to actually bring me some sort of enjoyment and not just immediately look at it and then list it somewhere else for sale. Now, how do you narrow it down though? So if you're, you're buying what you like, how do you decide what you like when there's, you know, every player on the team or every player, at least that Panini makes cards for available? Um, generally I do a lot of team sets and with that, the narrowing process is especially now with there being 400 parallels for every set is just finding one or two parallels that I think look aesthetically pleasing to me, um, have a little bit of rarity to them, but maybe they're not, you know, numbered to five or 10, something that's attainable that I'm not going to go crazy for trying to find. Um, and then I've got specific players, my favorites from the rock, whatever current roster. Um, right now, you know, it's Miles Turner, Domas, those guys. Uh, typically, I've always been a fan of the seventh, eighth guy on the roster. That's who I end up collecting because I start as a rookie and the Pacers just always draft guys that end up being the seventh, eighth, ninth guy on the roster. That's just what we've always done. So that's typically what I've always collected. All right. Well, shifting gears here a little bit, I think people see us interact on Blowout or Instagram and they see our or they see our Pacers accounts. And um, there's there is definitely some overlap there. We like a lot of the same things. And um, but they see us interacting in a way that's very friendly, very cordial. I don't think it seems, you know, fabricated or anything. And they scratch their heads a little bit. They, they want you know, they ask the question. I, I know you get the same question as well. In fact, you, you said someone recently asked you this, how do these two people that seemingly want the same thing coexist? And even further than that, it seems like have a legitimate friendship in the way that they do. And for us to tackle that question and how we sometimes approach things collectively, I think we need to look at our shared history because I think that's, um, goes a, a long way in this. So I mentioned earlier that we probably started sometime chatting sometime around the end of 2014 would be my guess. Now that doesn't mean we were chatting as frequently then, but 2014, early 2015. Um, what do you remember about our friendship from there on? Um, early on, yeah, the blowout stuff. It was, I want to say you started doing uh, Pacers season threads on the blowout basketball uh, forum and I, I think that might have been where it started and we just we tend to have a lot of similar takes on the team that can be hard to find sometimes when you have you know, you're just talking to another fan of the same team it's hard to listen to sometimes because people have such drastic takes and not every fan is such a level-headed fan <laughs> uh, so that was it was just nice to find someone that had a similar vibe yeah, we started talking on blowout. Um, I went back earlier and looked the earliest that I, I could find where we had like traded or sent anything to each other. I want to say it was 2017. Um, and then from there, we've the blowout stuff. I started trailing off a little bit and got more into Instagram. And I think that's where our sort of friendship took off from there. We started chatting more frequently there and helping each other out with our collections. 
I think there were a couple things too when we started uh, when packages started going both ways. Um, you know, it, it, sometimes it was trades. It was hey, you know, I think these things are equal, and then it um, it evolved to I'm sending you something. I'm not telling you what's in there. Send me back whatever. And then it's just kind of like, hey, I got something for you, right? So I think that it's evolved into that over time. Um, and, and there's an element of trust there. I, I know, you know, you know you're not going to send me garbage. Um, you're you're going to look for stuff that you know I would appreciate and, and likewise. And, it, and in fact, it, I was thinking about it today. Um, I sent you, you were doing a set chase. And I think you remember the, the past and present gamers. And... Um, you were looking for the Pacers patches and um, I had a really nice Danny Granger one. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm thinking in my head, this guy, you know, this guy's a real good guy. He's doing the set chase. Let me just send it to him. Um, not as a trade or anything. I'll just send it to him. And you ended up completing that set. And then later on, and I, I get, you know, I'm kind of, I never voiced it, but I'm like, man, you know, I really liked that Granger patch. That was a good one. Lo and behold, I get a package one day with the Granger and the rest of the set in it. So um, that's that just kind of uh, you know characterizes the way that that we send stuff to one another. You never know what's going to happen. So I, I think it's added a new element, and um, I've really enjoyed that so far. And, and I know we're going to keep doing that. In fact, I got a stack of stuff here for you, or a small stack of stuff here for you right now. So how um, I know you know over time that I've outbid you on some stuff. And I know you've purchased some stuff that I wanted and uh, it, it works both ways. I think that happens a lot less now. We've evolved over time, but we we don't really have any written rules, so to speak. You know, people ask, how do you coexist? We don't have written rules. We do kind of have standard practices though. And that's a byproduct of talking with you, seeing what cards you like, working with you over time. I know you get asked about our collections. How would you describe our working relationship? Yeah, so there was an instance recently that came up where a fellow Pacers collector was selling off some of his stuff, and he had a few cards that both of us were pretty interested in. And we always just, same there with eBay purchases. We always end up sending a message, hey, did you see this? Uh, What do you think you'd go for on it? just sort of gauging who wants it more to a certain degree or who's in a position to buy it at that time. Um, I mean, sometimes I'm in a a spot where I can't go buy this because, you know, my card funds are allocated for the month or I've already spent them. I budget myself out monthly, but I want a friend to have that card. Uh, So I'll send you a message and say, Hey, did you see this? At least one of us could get this card. (laughs) So yeah. it's staying, you know, within reach. But yeah, I think our approach seems to work pretty well. It's always been friendly. We don't have really like a competitive thing that goes on between us. We do collect a lot of the same stuff being, you know, team collectors. But I think we each collect enough things uh, opposite of each other that we can keep it to where, you know, you're helping me find things. I'm helping you find things. Just pointing out where we might miss something on eBay or somebody posts it on their Instagram story. Cause you end up, you tend to buy a lot of uh, you're into vintage and you're really big on the 2000 final stuff where I like that stuff too, but I know that's more your wheelhouse. So I'm never going to try to outbid you on stuff like that just because I know it 
it fits better in your collection, basically. Right. So just to give people an example, and this is something that I learned from working also with a, uh, a Thad Young collector named Will, um, because this is when Thad was active on the team and there would be patches, you know, that I would want. And it's like, man, I know this guy's going to make a run at this. I am too. Someone's going to cost someone a lot of money here. And same thing, I take the same approach with you. So we, we kind of do, I guess you want to call it like an informal bidding, like you said. So let's say, all right, this Danny Granger patch comes up. We both want it, right? So I might say, well, I'm going, I'm willing to go $40 on this patch. And you might say, well, honestly, I was going to go 65. So at that point, I'd never put a bid in. Even if I, and it kills me sometimes because I'll be watching it and it's at 25 and I'm like, well, I hope, you know, I hope Steve wins it for the lower amount than what he said. And then what I said. So that way, you know, we end up with it and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not, we're not bleeding money out and that way, you know, in the grand, we have to think long picture. And that's something that a lot of people are missing right now in the grand scheme of things. We don't want to bleed each other's money out. And then neither one of us gets many cards. Uh, you know, or we'll get a lot fewer cards than we would otherwise. Um, and also, like you said, we've noticed like, you know, vintage stuff I'm, I'm into 2000 final stuff. I'm into early 2000s Pacers patches. I'm really into, you're really into shiny stuff. I'm not as much into shiny stuff, although you have kind of moved me there, which is funny um, as, you know, as we talk more over the years. So it's just a matter of, of kind of feeling things out. Now, I will say though, um, has there ever, or I'll ask, has there ever been a time where you're afraid to show me a card um, that you've seen on Instagram or mention a card to me in the off chance that we might both really want it? I can't think of anything off the top of my head that would fit that category, but there was one recently that you have posted on your Instagram that we both got an offer sent to us by the seller and you basically accepted it first. So yes. you ended up with it as the Danny Granger, UD Black, like jumbo autograph patch. I think it's number 10 or 15. It's 15, yeah. 15, yeah. So that seller had sent us both the offer and you just got to it first. And I was like, man, I really would have loved to have had that one. And here's the here's the horrible thing. I was going to... I, well, first off, we had not talked about the card. So we don't talk about every card, but we do talk about a lot of them. Sometimes you don't have time when you're sending an offer, you don't have time to run it by the card court. Uh, right. So <laughs> I, w- I had the screenshot of my accepted offer and I was literally in the process of sending it to you um, when I... I don't remember how you phrased it exactly, but there, you said something colorful to the effect of, of you losing this Danny Granger patch before I could hit send. And I kind of had to backpedal just a second because I didn't want to rub it in. And it was kind of like, Oh yeah, I actually won that. I accepted that offer. And then I, I, you know, everything kind of eased at that point, but it was kind of a funny moment. Um, I mean, I, well, I was the one that ended up with the card, but I think we can both say it was kind of a funny moment um, for us both wanting it. Yeah, and I know at least now it's in your collection and not somewhere where I don't know where it is. So there is still a possibility at some point down the line, I could talk you out of that card. 
There, Whereas yeah. someone else gets it and it's just gone forever. There there have been a few things that have found their way to you that I didn't think would find their way to you, but you know, the, just things happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, there is actually a card that I can think of that I think we were both silent on um, and neither one of us ended up owning it recently. And that is a 2008 Danny Granger Topps Chrome Red Refractor. Do you remember seeing that one come up? I think I, I put it on my watch list and I think I just forgot about it. That's been a struggle for me recently is putting things in my watch list. And then I just, I've missed a lot of cards recently because of that, because I'm just, my yeah. notifications on my phone are turned off. And I think I completely missed that one when it ended. Uh, it went well over what I could have bid on it at the time anyway. So Well, it went way higher than I thought it would. I thought it was going to be in a range where we could both grab it. And so I'll admit that was one I was kind of scared. I'm like, I I just assume if everything goes quiet on a card that we might both be going for it. Now, those (laughs) moments are few and far between, but to everyone that's asking or, you know, everyone asking about our working relationship, I do think that still happens occasionally, but it's a lot less than it did um, probably three or four years ago. We've really, I think we have saved each other a lot of money now also probably cost each other a lot of money just showing, Hey, have you seen this, you know, Larry bird auto, have you seen this card? And then you go and pick one up as well. Um, yeah. but I think all in all, we've saved each other a lot of money in the long run. Yeah. Cause like you were mentioning earlier, we do the sort of the, the pre bid where we're messaging each other, you know, what's, what's the highest you're going to go on this. And maybe I do get it for cheaper than what your max bid would have been. <laughs> And I end up with the card or you end up with the card and it's, you know, it's, it ends up saving us a considerable amount. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I never feel like, you know, oh, he won it for 30. Oh, I would have paid 50. Like we already worked that out. Once it's worked out in my mind, it's gone. You know, right. like I, I try, I don't cry over spilled milk or anything. And like you said earlier, I, I like the fact that you have the card and, and in a weird way, I kind of, when you post your mail days, I kind of get a sense of that too. Like, Hey, you know, we, not that we're collecting together, not that we have a joint collection, but it's like, I kind of share, I feel like I share in that success to an extent because um, I I've watched your collection over the years. I'm happy for you. And you've added a piece that, um, that I know you really want. Yeah, definitely. It's like we can live vicariously through each other uh, right? when you're picking up some monster card that, you know, was out of my range or, I just completely missed. It's like, oh, well, Kyle got it. So it's like, it's almost like I got it. <laughs> right. You'll have access to the pictures um, yeah, exactly. at any moment that you want them, which, you know, in all reality, I, I know we we make fun of, you know, cards online being NFTs and such um, and how we should go through our cards more often. My cards are in boxes, like they're hard to get to. So I do do a lot of digital browsing. So um, yes, very much so. <laughs> a lot of times it's like, you know what, that's, that's, pretty similar to what I would be doing with it anyway. I hate to say that, but all right. Um, So there have been some episodes lately where I've talked about adaptability and the fact that a lot of people have had to um, collect differently in the last year or two. And I don't think either one of us has been all that excited about Goga Bataze or Cassius Stanley. So that's another way that we saved a lot of money. Um, You know, and just in this crazy year, I would be buying more Goga and Cassius stuff in a normal year now I don't have to. And you know what? I'm, I'm not too worried about it. 
Um, have you had to change your approach to the hobby any, and then what kinds of things have you been chasing in the last year? I think I've changed my approach a little bit in the last year, year and a half. I started digging through a lot of my older stuff because that stuff just randomly started shooting up in price where early 2020, it might've been a $5 card. I'm selling things for 50 to $60. So started digging through older stuff, um, just getting rid of old inventory that would have just sat in my closet. But in terms of picking up new stuff, I started going more for a lot of team sets, just blue prism set stuff to match the Pacers colors. They're lower end. It's easier to find stuff like that in most cases, as long as you're not a 2013, 14 prism blue George Hill. Yeah. So just a, a PSA real quick. We are, we have both uh, worked on the 2013, 2014 prism blue pacer set, which by the way, I think is the best parallel that Panini has ever done that specific set in year. Both of us are missing George Hill. We've both seen it before. Neither one of us grabbed it. Um, it was like, I, I remember passing on it for $7 at the time. So uh, preferably, you know, if, if two of them could emerge, that would be great. If not, we'll go through our little bidding process. Like we just discussed, find us a 2013 prison blue George Hill. All right, Steve, sorry to interrupt you there. PSA. Oh, over. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. If two of those could miraculously appear, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah. The $7 one sat on Burbank for, I feel like months. I had it in my save for later part of it the cart. It was in my cart several times. Yeah. And it just disappeared and I've never seen another copy of it. Yeah. Well, the the predicament that I found myself in, all right, if I buy $7, if I pay $7, I'm really paying like 11 or 12 with shipping. Okay. Well, then they'll do free shipping. I think at that point you had to get $35 worth of cards. Well, then I'm spending $35 because I didn't have $35 worth of cards from them that I really wanted in that moment. So we tried several things. I think I, we've reached out to one another and said, Hey, do you have any Burbank cards you want right now? I couldn't. And and of course we wanted the same one. Um, So I could never get to that $35 threshold. And then lo and behold, someone grabbed it and um, neither one of us have it now. So it is what it is. And it wasn't the only person that I know that collects George Hill because he still doesn't have a copy of it either. Okay, so Bobby needs one too. I'm assuming it's Bobby, right? Yep. Bobby Bobby needs one. Bobby Plaza, George Hill collector. If you got rare George Hill stuff, seek him out. So we need three of them, okay? And there's like, I I think the estimates that I've seen, we haven't narrowed it down specifically. There's between three and 400 of these most likely. So they are out there. Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, Steve, I've had a lot of fun so far today, but I can't let you go without um, having you share some of your favorite cards with the audience. I think I know one of them. The other two, I'm honestly not sure about. So this, I'm, I'm ready for this. If you had to narrow things down, um, let's say monetary value doesn't matter, although it can be valuable cards. What are your three favorite cards in your collection and why? Okay, so number one would be my 2005s. Uh, 06 Ultimate Collection Danny Granger Logo Man RPA. Um, it's a card that I never would have imagined that I would own back when I was collecting Danny a little heavier, you know, 05, 06 time frame when his prices were quite a bit different. Never would have imagined I would have that card. 
Yeah, just for reference here real quick, Danny Granger was really, a lot of people weren't in the hobby then. Danny Granger was actually, for being a 17th pick, was pretty well sought after um, as far as his cards go. It kind of took a year for things to really heat up, but people were were into Danny Granger. Yeah, he had a similar trajectory to what Paul George kind of had with the Pacers, where rookie season, decent bench contributor, and then every year after that just sort of kept taking himself to another level. So by Danny's second, third season in the league, he was borderline all-star and people were seeing that potential and his prices were much different than they are now. If we could back up, um, I know there was a little bit of a struggle in getting that logo, man. So if, if you don't mind sharing some of that, I think that story needs to be told. It was a nightmare. <laughs> so I bought it off of eBay um, and it was coming from overseas I don't remember where it was coming from at this point, but it was coming from overseas and it ended up in the dreaded uh, Chicago sort facility, the international sort facility. And it was stuck there. Don't even remember how long it was. It was there for a couple months. It was long. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we were both like, I know you were worried. I was worried for you. It was long. It it sucked. I was calling their, the post office. I was calling the sort facility. I was exhausting every avenue that I could try to get someone to track it down and get it to me. But yeah, it was not a fun wait by any means. Uh, I had finally submitted the claim on eBay that I, it was just gone. Uh, and the day after I submitted the claim, it showed up. <laughs> and it was probably the happiest collecting day of my life. Yeah, I remember... Um... I mean, you were, you were, we were talking about it quite a bit and, you know, you said, well, I, I think I'm going to submit the claim and I understood why, but there was a part of me that was like, oh, if he, like the money is not the issue here. You want the card, right? Like this is not a card that's replaceable. So deep down, I'm like, man, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. But I understood why. And it was the right move. Luckily for you, that thing showed up. And I would say, I mean, definitely the centerpiece of your Granger PC, if not your whole PC, that's an amazing card that I, I'm jealous of that card. Yeah, it's by far the most high-end card that I have, which is hilarious that someone's most high-end card is a Danny Granger card. Uh, <laughs> doesn't really, it's not a blip on the radar for a lot of people, but well, it's, my it's, guy. <laughs> if, if you're going to have a Danny Granger card, though, that is the one. Like there, there's no other card that compares to that in terms of what people are looking for with rookies in today's age. So that is the one. So kudos to you. Congrats to you. Let's hear about number two. Uh, Number two, like I said, number two and three are probably a tie because they're essentially the same card. It's the Brandon Rush 0809 Bowman Chrome and Topps Chrome Superfractor Autos. And those, I would put those in the top three just because of the story that comes along with them. Um, I owned them back when I was super collecting Brandon Rush, as they used to call it. Sold them off when I sold my Brandon Rush collection. They ended up with the other Brandon Rush super collector, who I believe was based out of Hong Kong. There were two of us, believe it or not. They ended up in that collection, and I never thought I'd see them again. And then they both appeared on eBay at the same time for the same price, which was a very reasonable price. But of course, I put in an offer instead of clicking to buy it now because, you know, I am on a budget and the seller sold me both for a more than reasonable price. Um, So they made their way from me to Hong Kong to Florida 
that weren't far from you and then back home to Indiana. They'll be in my collection for as long as I have a collection. Um, I know you posted this on your Instagram before. I, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll dig these pictures up again, because I think this is so cool. I think, you know, what picture I'm talking about. Yeah. The, uh, I put them inside of a glass ball case, uh, where I had an autographed Pacers ball from Brandon Rush's rookie year. It was a team event for season ticket holders. And I had gotten Rush and Roy Hibbert and a bunch of random scrubs from the roster from 0809. That's basically our whole roster. Except for Jeff Foster. Except for Jeff Foster. <laughs> so I had put those inside the ball case. Um, just that, that's how I was displaying them at the time. And then when I brought those two cards home, uh, I believe it was 2020, I repositioned them in that same ball case and took a new updated picture. The autos on the cards still look brand new. The autos on the basketball don't look as no, new anymore, <laughs> but they're still okay. Coincidentally, the Brandon Rush is the most faded autograph on that basketball. I bet, but probably what Travis Diener is like the boldest signature on that ball. Yeah, I think it's Travis Diener and Maceo Baston. Ooh, okay. I remember him. Number nine came <laughs> yeah. up playing in Israel and then came over here. So that tells you about uh, all you need to know about Mr. Baston. All right. Well, uh, Steve, I've really enjoyed talking with you today. We'll have to do this again at some point. Before I let you go, feel free to plug anything you're working on or anything you're looking for in addition to the 2013-2014 Prism Blue George Hill. Um, go ahead and give us your social media handles in the process. The next few moments are yours. Okay, uh, so not a lot to plug. My Instagram handle, like you said, is at Vintage Pacers which doesn't really mean a whole lot. I don't collect vintage Pacers cards. I might have a few in my collection, but it's more so a play on Michael Cole, the announcer in WWE. Oh, okay, there we he go. says, everything is vintage, such and such. So I just, I was looking for an eBay username and that's what I came up with. Uh, that's the Instagram handle. My wife told me that if I don't mention her while I'm recording this with you, that she would be upset. So shout out to my wife. And my two sons. Shout out to Mrs. Vintage Pacers because um, she is holding the fort down so he can do this. I know you got two little ones at home. She's holding the fort down. So thank you. Shout out to all of the misses that hold the fort down when I do podcast interviews. So um, yes. awesome. So thank you very much. I'll make sure to include your handle in the show title as well. Thanks again, Steve. No problem. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. Thanks again to Steve for taking the time out of his schedule to come on the show. Um, I am trying to get some guys on this show that maybe we haven't heard from before on either this show or other shows, and i um, very excited to be able to talk to him. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. 
hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store, tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.